Found Live in three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to Found Live. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington. And of course, I'm joined as always by the UX to my UI and my oh, I like that one. beloved co-host. Jordan. Yeah, I am the user experience, Jordan Crook. I'm really That's excited right. to be here. I'm the UI, which is worse, which is a step down, a step below. I don't think so. <laughs> You get no UX without a UI. It doesn't right. exist. I literally. suppose they're integral parts of one another. That's true. Yeah, they need one another, just like you and I. Just like um, us. They're romantic Just parts. like you and I. <laughs> UI. Did you see how that punned a little bit? Yeah. Okay, so just quick intro before we get our amazing guest in on the mix. Yeah, I think you heard him, but... I just. We'll keep it yeah, a surprise yeah. he's, who he's it is. He's sneaking in. He's sneaking in. <laughs> founders TechCrunch's podcast where Daryl and I talk to founders to get the stories behind the startups, which is very exciting. We go live with this, so not just recorded, but actually with you looking at you every other Thursday. Don't miss next Thursday when our sister podcast, the Equity Podcast, will be coming on live, so you can register for that as well. Also happening next week, it's a very special episode of TechCrunch Live. We're going to do a city spotlight on Austin burgeoning startup scene, and that will be on April 6th. There's going to be a couple great panels and a pitch off. It's going to be really awesome. So you can RSVP now. We will drop a link in the chat. With that, I think we can get going, right? Or Daryl, do you have more to add on the housekeeping front? I'll just say we have a special episode of Found for that Austin City Spotlight, which you'll be able to listen to on Monday. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's I cool. I remember. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say anymore. It's a surprise. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a super secret surprise. But our other surprise is about to be revealed. We are joined today by Figma CEO and founder Dylan Field. How are you doing, Dylan? Good. I'm glad to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, do this. it's great to have you. Yeah, I feel like we'd be hard pressed to find someone in the audience who doesn't know what Figma is yet. I just feel like it's hit like a... I don't know if there's like a mainstream for design tools, really. But like if you work at a startup <laughs> or someone that, I mean, maybe there is, I don't know. But people know what Figma is, but why don't you just like high level it, totally. what Figma is? And I think there are a lot of people that don't know yet. So I appreciate the opportunity. Although your reporting of it has definitely helped us get raise the profile. a lot more people. Yeah. Are you Figma. stroking my ego real quick I, I, before we get started? That's not no, going to save good, you, good Dylan. Start. I'm coming <laughs> for you. Start the interview. So Figma is a design platform. Uh, you can use it anywhere from that along the journey of just trying to get an idea out there, all the way from ideation and brainstorming with FigJam to design and actually creating the user interface with Figma. And soon, you know, we're also working on ideas around design to production. How do you make it so that your developer can come in and really translate design all the way into code? And wow. yeah, trying to support people all the way across the journey. I think it's pretty important that we're able to make design accessible to more people because the world is just becoming increasingly digital. I think we've seen this especially over the past few years with COVID. And mm -hmm. as we're all online more and more, companies have to compete. And either they're going to be able to adapt and make great, well-designed products for their audiences, or they will be disrupted by the products and the software and the companies that are able to innovate more on design and bring more great ideas to the table. And so we're trying to help everybody along in that way. Yeah, design is so important. It's like the differentiator in so many products, right? It's like what wins is the better design one in so many cases, yeah. even if the product is not necessarily better in terms of like end results or whatever. So, yeah. and that's increasing. The or case, like I feel the back end, like the data set or the algorithm might not be as good, but like right. when it feels good to a user and they don't even know why, you know, yeah. it makes a difference. Oh, I think it's been a giant shift over the past few decades, honestly. I mean, you think about it and it's like 
a while back, the way that you get software out there is you'd have, you know, you'd literally, okay, cool, you want to be the internet, go buy some rack space somewhere, take your managed servers, put it in there, you know, and like hook up with the internet. Now we've got the cloud with AWS and whatnot. And okay, great. You want to like ship your software and it's not in the web. Okay. Like burn onto CDs and like put it in boxes and make sure the boxes look pretty (laughs) and like, you know, send it to Best Buy. (laughs) And it's like, okay, great. Now I got app stores. (laughs) You know, before it was like, no one had examples in their mind of here's what well-designed software looks like. Now we've got tons of examples. And if you have to deal with a shitty experience, whether it's, you know, with your bank or some weird enterprise software that you have to run on a day-to-day basis to do your job, people just don't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. I think that's the shift that's happened over the last decade or so. And Figma has kind of been around for that shift. And I've seen it live as institutions that I never thought would be so designed for before are now saying like, we are a design company. Mm -hmm. Banks, for example, literally are realizing, have realized over the past few years that they have to adapt and otherwise they will be disrupted. And that's why your user experience for your bank get like a lot better now. Um, It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. I definitely notice it the most with the bank Mm. and the airlines, Mm -hmm. their their specific websites. Because you go to like, even the startups we report on that are pre-seed, you go to their website and you're like, wow, that's pretty, you know, like that's a really nice thing. But like when, I won't name my bank, but when my bank updates its website, I'm like, holy sh**. You know, it's just because they like had set such a low bar beforehand (laughs) that you're like, wow, look at you, you know, and part of that is just pretty the amount of designers that are being hired and brought onto these teams has just increased so much. I really think it's kind of like we're seeing this design arms race happen where people are just, you know, there's a lack of designers that have experience in the market and people (laughs) are are really trying to attract them to their companies because they know that's how they're going to win. Not just Mm -hmm. the visuals, it's the user experience too. We're trying to make a great experience across the board. And that goes to everything from not just how you use an app or website, but like what's your call center experience? Right. Yeah. And furthermore, we're seeing internal tools be built like industrial applications one of the places where my mind got blown the most was just seeing how there's just kind of this awakening around and people call it digital transformation, which is a little buzzy, but it's a real concept in terms of people are trying to build internal tools to help industrial companies be more efficient in their processes and just smarter about the way they work. Mm -hmm. And so those ought to be designed somewhere and we're seeing a lot of them be designed in Figma. It's really cool. Yeah. So one of the things that I guess confused me the most about Figma early on that like you seem to tap into and I don't think anybody else it really clicked as much was the idea of multiplayer for actually designing, right? Because it's mm. like one thing to be like cross-functional or like that the rest of the organization Take can go and add notes, people. right? Yeah. yeah. And like, oh, this is cool, right? That's one thing. But like to have two designers in any sort of co-player, multiplayer space and actually working on the same thing just didn't seem like a thing, right? Like you imagine mm-hmm. a designer being like, don't open the door, I'm working, right? Right. Very isolated is the way that I saw him totally. in my well, head. Well, you have versioning. Just, versioning would be like lock version to you. Now, okay, now everyone else, hands off. Lock version to you, hands off. Yeah, right. and so like I'm just curious where that even came from. Were you designing and struggling to design along people or were you watching like how Google Docs was being adopted or like where did the actual twinkle in your eye come from where you were like i bet designers would like to do this together well first of all my co-founder evan and i like we grew up in like a multiplayer world with google docs and so i think that there was something generational there around we just in high school that's what we were using versus word and i think because of that we had a different expectation for how software should work that Mm -hmm. said you know as we started figma the first part of bringing it to the web was about accessibility 
we thought, okay, if we bring her to the web, more people can access Figma. And we thought, and maybe there's something about this multiplayer collaboration thing, but you know, every designer we talked with would say what you just said, Jordan. They'd be like, I don't know about that. Because so much of the <laughs> identity of designers was wrapped up in like being this kind of lone creative in the corner, doing the big reveal. And that was because design teams just hadn't hit scale yet, I think. And that also, like I said, design didn't have a seat at the table yet. And the power dynamics were such that oftentimes there's one designer in the org and they're expected to kind of like put lipstick on the pig at the end of the process yeah. rather than being an integral part. And now it's like people, you know, once to the design tables, that's a shift that we've seen. But I think that what happened was we started, we didn't want to make a big investment in multiplayer until we were sure. And so at first we thought, okay, we'll just build it. We'll make it so it's not multiplayer, on the web. but it's on the web. And then yeah. what happens is like, there's a native form factor of being on the internet. It's like some, maybe it's like medium is the message kind of stuff where like I'm on a URL, you join and you make an edit. And then it's like, okay, now what? Well, okay. If it's not multiplayer enabled, my browser refreshes. And if I make right. an edit, your browser refreshes. It's like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this is the worst experience. And so it took like five minutes for us to figure out once we had it built, this is not going to work. And then it was, okay, we have to right. build multiplayer. In the meantime, you know, we had talked to a lot of people and I'll give credit where it's due. Like, you know, a few people had gotten it. So there's uh, Tim Van Dam at Dropbox along with Belinda Prino. There are two people that had said, absolutely, we want this. And the context they're coming from, which is the one that I had seen before Figma as well, is this context of pair design where you're hmm. you're sitting next to someone else and you're working with them in kind of this like mentor-mentee relationship. The person that for me that was was DDA Hillhorse at Flipboard, who was my intern mentor and uh, now is a you know really important design leader at Uber. And I think when you're in that setting and you're kind of going back and forth and collaborating, that's a really obvious point where, yeah, of course, multiplayer would be great. Mm-hmm. But I think it took a while for people to adapt it. And it was interesting when we launched Figma and we had said, yes, we're going to, have multiplayer. We didn't have at that point, but we were advertising as like it will come soon because we're working on it. You know, there's very mixed reactions. Some people said, if this is the future of design, I'm changing careers. Oof. Another person in the comment section, I think on designer news said uh, a camel is a horse designed by committee. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was like I, I think we really attacked this sort of self-identity of the designer. And then as people saw over the past five, six years, hey, actually it's okay to collaborate. This can lead to good ideas. It's not necessarily death by committee. Instead, this is a way for the best ideas to come forth. And mm-hmm. you can actually get to simpler products and states through collaboration rather than like just more complexity. I think we've had to kind of prove it out and people had to see it firsthand. But it's the same journey that so many other things have gone through. Like think about code, right? Yeah. Code started in a similar place. And as we introduced version control, as we introduced notions of collaboration, as engineers got more power in the organization, people care about what they're doing. Then code's prominence rose and people had less that image of their minds of like, we are the solitary against the corner engineering and building greatness. Instead, like this is a team sport. And mm-hmm. I think that design is going through a similar journey. Yeah. But that must be difficult for people in the same way. I mean, it happens in writing yeah. too, right? Like writing is another area where, speaking from experience, you see a lot of ego, right? Like people are very, very protective of their stuff, of the thing that they're has a huge ego like (laughs) you me specifically we're talking about but it works so much better i went to creative writing school is that one of your bingo things jordan that i talk about on the podcast why why don't you just go ahead and do the other two real quick i'm from canada i'm canadian i worked at shopify okay they're all out there there we go um put them all out (laughs) 
<laughs> but when I went to school for that, everybody coming in was doing an MA. It was effectively an MFA. Yeah. It was just technically an MA. But like, you know, people are coming in like, oh, like I'm a poet or I'm a novelist or whatever. And you're very, to that point, I think everyone had generally been very insular. And probably we were kind of like weirdos in high school or whatever, right? Because you're like, oh, I, I like this strange thing and I'm going to do it on my own. And there's not really any interaction with other people around this particular subject. And then you get there and if you have a good instructor or a couple of classes, like they quickly bring you into these like workshop settings totally. and break you down to be like, look, nothing is precious and everyone should have input and feedback. And then you arrive at this final product yep. that is much better than the thing you would have built on your own. Right. But without that, you just continue on that path and sort of like ensconce yourself. And it's very uncomfortable to shift if you haven't encountered that in like a formative stage. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I do think people can adapt yeah. after like a formative stage on that. Yeah. And I also think it's an interesting question of the differences between like writing and design. Mm. You know, you want to have an editor for writing. I think editor not me. All things I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't either. Except for the I'm two of you. Else. Draft one. <laughs> I like it when people give me feedback. I'll my touch work. my shit. I think that oh, no, with I'm writing, sure. you know, there's, and this is somewhere for design, both have this concept of voice, both have a concept of point of view. But what's interesting about design is that that concept of voice and point of view, it has to scale not just for the little area you're working on, but across mm. the entire system of software, right? right. And so, it's almost like if 10 people are writing 10 different distinct chapters for a book, but it all has to feel the same and sound the same in yes. terms of voice and tone. It's like, okay, great. How do you make that style guide? How do you formalize yeah. that? And so that's what a design system is, is some way to formalize that and kind of create that voice and tone that designers can then tap into. But then mm -hmm. I also think there's an interesting question there, which is like, to your point, now that no one is in that lone creative state where they can't find community, like everyone can find community on the internet now. Right. And so how do you create and scale ways for people to like enter and see critique and experience crit and, you know, get that feedback early on in a productive setting and not just in a way mm -hmm. that's like the comment section on YouTube, right? Right. Yeah. Or very <laughs> like damaging. Yeah. Yeah. That early on. That's how really we get it most of the challenging time. Challenging question. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it is. And early on, this is maybe sharing too much, but like I spent a lot of times in the Penny Arcade forums, oh. like when I was in high school and I would just like draw. Mostly I was doodling stuff or like writing yeah. comics and then I would put them in there and then I'd have a small group of like-minded individuals who would like offer me crits, right? Which is like a very proto thing of like what is now available yep. with Reddit and YouTube or whatever. But I think it was there at a scale that it was actually quite productive and fairly self-regulating and healthy. Mm -hmm. But like now it is not those things, right? Like now you need guardrails or you need some kind of like intervention system in order to prevent it becoming fortunate or whatever. You need some natural language processing and and human <laughs> well, moderators. I think it depends on which corner of the internet you're in, right? Like there's a lot yeah, of places. Yeah. The internet's a big place. I think there's some like really good behavior in some places. Don't be optimistic about sorry. that. <laughs> that Dylan. Vibe that this isn't like, the time It's not what this is for. No, that was no. a vibe shift. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we're here for. No. Um, meanwhile, we're all here making our living on the internet. <laughs> Dylan, I wanted to, can we like change yeah. tacks a little bit? Because I know the evolution of design is fascinating, whatever, but we've talked about it so many times. So like, I, I want to talk about, <laughs> okay, well, join in, read an article that I've written. Why don't you? I wanted to talk about you a little bit more because maybe I'm wrong about this, but the internet says you were born in 1992. That's correct. And you launched, well, you didn't launch it, but you founded Figma in 2012, which yep. would have made you a 20 year old founder. Correct. You launched it like what, like three and a half years later, right? So like 23, 24. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess my question for you is like, obviously you've scaled it into something huge and very successful, but like hiring and building out your first team. And I mean, it just seems like it would be really hard to have the confidence to be like the boss, the Mm -hmm. leader at that age. Right. But also have the humility to be like, Hey, I'm figuring things out too. And like finding the right balance. And if you can go back to then, cause now you're like a papa and you've been doing it for so long at this point, you know, if you can get yourself back in 23 year old Dylan's shoes, like what was that like? And how did that feel? Totally. I started off with like a lot of confidence, probably confidence that like you can only find in a 20 year old (laughs) (laughs) for being honest. Yes. And then, but then as soon as, you know, there are setbacks and there always are, you know, it was a big blow to me. And I was like, there's some very humbling moments even before the first year of Figma had passed. Hmm. You know, it's like possible, I think with startups to get sort of those high highs and those low lows within like hours or days of each other sometimes, which is just a wild roller coaster to be on. And we talked about this before, Jordan, but like, I think that I definitely had leadership experience from just like activities, clubs, things I'd done in the past, but like, I had no idea what it meant to manage anyone. Right. (laughs) And and that was something that I was just learning in real time. You know, I was pretty honest and clear about that with the people at Figma. I was just had to kind of like give me feedback anytime policy. I'd always be asking for feedback. But, you know, as we're taking a long time to get to launch, as I was fighting tooth and nail about like little feature details when I probably Mm. shouldn't have been, I didn't have a really good sense of like, what's the time where you have to really push in which, what's the sense time when it's just like, let someone put it out there and, and we can evolve it at software. It's not going to be like this thing where it's always the same. We're going to be able to iterate and keep changing it. I didn't have a sense for like when to push hard. And when not to. And also, you know, I think I didn't hire perfectly. I hired people that were always really high skill, but not all of them were the right fit for the sort of culture and vibe that we're building at Figma. And partially it's because we didn't know what it was yet. Mm -hmm. And all those people would be perfectly fine elsewhere. Just like, you know, sometimes it wasn't the right fit for Figma. And so all that together, it was definitely tough to kind of figure out how to evolve in the early days. And also there's a point where before launch, we've been working so hard and pushing so hard. And I don't think it was clear to anyone that this was actually going to happen, that this thing would actually get out. And oh, wow, yeah. after that long of work, I mean, morale was just really low, partially because of the fact that I was not best manager, partially because we'd just been working on it so long and partially because it's like now, you know, we're talking about multiplayer design and collaboration stuff. Like we just talked about, you know, it wasn't always clear that was going to be a thing. No, <laughs> um, yeah. There was some amount of, do people even want this thing? Like, are we building towards a goal that actually matters? Will anyone care? And then also just like, I was not in the best state. My dad was dying. Like, it was just mm-hmm. like a really dark time for me personally. Um, the team really, they kind of were like, Hey, you should get some help. And, you know, I think that that was a tough moment for me, but also the fact that it happened, the fact that I took a few days, just kind of like reset. And then I tried to really take it in and absorb what they were saying and get to launch and, and then kind of like build up post launch. I think it forced me into a better manager and leader, but it was Mm. definitely not like an easy time. Right. It sounds super difficult because we've talked to a lot of people who seek out. We talked to somebody the other day, Julia Cheek from Everly Health, who said like she had a executive coach from day one, from day one from her experience as a founder, which like that's like super the other way extreme. Right. But like, did you ever seek that? Or like, how did you get to your maturation stage? Was it all trial by fire? Like you just had to make the mistakes and go through it? Or did you go and seek help? Or how did you figure that? Yeah. What tools did you use? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had so many great mentors and people around me. So whether it's just literally people that have invested in Figma, they've made a huge difference. I mean, and people like I have really distrusting relationships with them and like, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll bounce ideas off them. 
coaches. I've had various coaches that have made a big impact. And then also folks that are maybe like early investors. But for example, Jeff Weiner, he's somebody that's been someone who's been a close mentor and we talk at least once a month, sometimes more. And he's someone that I can talk about kind of like anything around the company mm-hmm. with, which I really appreciate. Also just like my wife now, she's a good gut check. I'll say, hey, X is happening. What do you think? And she's like, or I'll say something about like what I'm going to do. She's like, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. it's good to have people around you that just like keep you honest and real. Yeah, that part is curious because like you have your like your personal life has actually like changed so much more than your professional life. You've been the founder of Figma for a decade now. Mm-hmm. And yet you like along the journey, gotten married, you now have a kid. Yep. And like, how has that piece, I mean, you said your wife is a good gut check, but like, has that piece of just like having your own family and that kind of responsibility, I guess, like changed the way you've been a manager and leader as well? Yeah. I mean, I actually tweeted about this recently. I was like, one effect of having a kid is that I've been more empowering. I'm like, maybe it's out of necessity, but it's definitely happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know. I think like I haven't quite internalized. Our kid was born late last year. And so I don't think I quite internalized all the changes that come with having a child and how it's going to affect me and how it'll change my style and my identity and personality. But I'm, I suspect it is. And that process has already started and I'm just kind of catching up to it mentally. Yeah. But also I think another thing that's been interesting is just watching my wife's company grow because she started a company, I think three, four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually wrapping the sweatshirt today, Ironfish. Oh, nice. Uh, it's a private cryptocurrency company and watching her go through that journey of starting up and encountering you know, a bunch of the same challenges we encountered. She came from being an IC engineer at Airbnb. And crypto is even harder than SaaS. Right. You're not yeah. just trying to figure out how to make a product that people will buy. You're trying to figure out sort of like, what's the economy? <laughs> like, yes. how, do I, how do I create like what's a the state of the industry? Yeah. You know, she's making a layer one. It's like, how do I figure out like what the mission curve should be? What's the regulatory changes that are going to happen? Mm-hmm. How do you distribute equity and tokens and stuff like that? It's not all clear, the basics. And so in addition to hardcore math and cryptography, mm-hmm. Watching her journey, I think, has also been a sense of reflection for me because it's really interesting to see someone else encounter the same challenges and then also not always end up in the same decision path because she's building her own company and she's going to do it the way she's going to do it. And sometimes that's better for her and sometimes it's not as good, but like it's different and that's okay. And I've also seen that with investing yeah. in general. I've had a few c- companies that I've gone close to through investing in them. And it's really inspiring and exciting to see it when people do things in a way that's totally different than Figma. And I think my just macro observations, there's so many different ways to build a company. There's a lot of ways to start up. Mm-hmm. And so much of the way you build your company is going to be unique for your audience and for the thing that you're doing. So for design software, like, yeah, we got to be intentional. We have to, for Figma, move fast and break things is probably not the right tagline for us. Right. Because if we move fast and break things, like someone might not be able to put dinner on the table because like they were freelancing and the service went down and they can't deliver work to a client and literally they can't feed their family. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean we should move slow and be glacial in our pace, but we also shouldn't f- with stuff so much that it can impact the user experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't yeah. this isn't some social app, right? Whereas other companies I've, I've worked <laughs> with, you know, they're able to iterate at a speed that's like far greater than ours and just throw stuff out and see if it works. And that's the right approach for them. And I'm like, oh man, what about the quality? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> and that's not a yeah. bad thing. That's like maybe the right thing for them, yeah. whereas it might not be the right thing for Figma. And then also there's times where for Figma is the right thing to go and be really fast and iterative in our approach. 
because they're not critical areas of the product and we can like mm. test more that way. And so just really understanding the constraints you're under, I think is important. Yeah. yeah. But is it difficult to like, you're talking about clients and in this particular industry, I feel like not only like things can be product breaking, but people are probably, I imagine your customers are extra sensitive to changes in product, right? So things that may seem yeah. small to like people outside of the discipline are actually like super, super important to people within, right? Yeah, I mean, I love working with designers and building for designers because first of all, they are very direct and very honest with their feedback. Hmm. It sounds a little blunt, but... Like they get it to us and they're very clear about it. And usually it's pretty constructive in tone too. Yeah. But the feedback we get is extraordinary. And it's so like the, just the average feedback is so much better than like, I think most companies because right, people right. are coming from a design background, they're understanding the context of which we're building and they're thinking consumer through. apps. It's like, I don't like this thing. And then yeah. people are like, what don't you like yeah. about it? I don't know. I hate it. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah. Designers are like, well, I, I understand like what you're thinking through here, but I'm not trying to agree with the results. Why? <laughs> just like very much more nuanced. Yeah. But yeah, I think also there are just fundamentally different ways that people can approach design. And we've seen this with our research from day one. So sometimes we can support multiple workflows for something. Sometimes we had to choose one path in order to make it so that it's not all things to all people, which can sometimes mm -hmm. lead to a worse user experience for everyone. Yeah. You know, you have to be deliberate about when we're making a choice versus not. And that's something that we've talked about with the team quite a bit inside of Figma. So you've talked a lot about like your path. Did you ever feel like there was, there are so many like milestones for Figma, you know, like you've launched a bunch of different products now, you've hit all of these revenue goals, you've raised a ton of money. It's here, right? And it's a thing. Was there ever a moment where you felt like, okay, we made it. I made it. We did it. Or is it just like never, I don't want to say never enough because that makes you sound crazed, but like, can you, you know, ever get comfortable? Like, is it always, or? Yeah. I think it's the beautiful thing about startups is that there's always something happening that's good and there's always some fire. Mm. If you're not aware of the fires, it's because you're not looking close enough. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like, you can't not appreciate the good. So you have to really celebrate those milestones when they happen. And yeah, I mean, just even. You know, the last few days, seeing Fig Jam starting to get really some amazing adoption with customers and not just inside design, but company wide. That's been something that we've been celebrating because yeah. we're really excited to see that. That's what we wanted to see was going outside the design audience and going to the entire company with Fig Jam. And at the same time, we're like, man, Fig Jam, we got a lot of work to do ahead. Mm -hmm. We have so this is the product has been launched almost a year now, but mm -hmm. we're not even a year old yet. And by the way, it was launched in beta <laughs> like yeah, right. after we were working on it for like seven months. This is like still a very new product and we have a lot of work to do. Like you can hold both those thoughts in your head simultaneously, both the appreciation and also like, let's go do this and make this great for our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like that part about it too. Like, I think that's the part that appeals to people who are truly cut out for work in a startup environment is like you said, there's always some kind of crisis to be handled, but also big successes to be celebrated, but simultaneously, right? And it does take a certain kind of person to want that kind of environment, right? But yeah, I think it's something that you should be ready for if you're <laughs> embarking on an entrepreneurial career path, right? Yeah, and then also I think it's like, how do you create the systems and processes in place so that it's not like always a crisis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, yeah. It can be a fire, yeah, but without being fire a without crisis. Like everyone going, yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before I forget, I just want to call out that when you were talking about in high school, you were using Word. I was like, wait, what? Well, I was no, he said he was using Docs. Docs, right. Not Word. But I was Docs instead of Word. Yeah. And I was like, I was using Word perfect instead of Word. <laughs> It's cool. Just I'm right in the middle. I was using Word. <laughs> <laughs> but 
perfect. <laughs> I think it's an interesting point, though. It's like, so now everyone knows how old we are. But here's the interesting point is like there's generations of software, right? Yeah. And so like what are the things that are going to be created by the teens right now using TikTok, you know, in four years right. when, when they're starting their companies, right? To manage design I mean, or any it, kind of collaboration. Yeah, like, I mean, it's like, yeah. what are the things that people are going to look back? Like, I think equally to Google Docs, another product that was hugely influential to me was Neopets, right? Mm, it's like yeah. a virtual world online website had virtual goods. So when NFTs came along, I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, Neopets, right? Right, yeah. I, and there's like all these things that are happening online now today that people are just, you know, this part of like the gestalt of how they grow up that one day there's going to be tech trends around that, you know, we won't see maybe, and we'll be like scratching our heads going, that's weird. Yeah. What a weird behavior. Why are people doing that? But you know, some weird <laughs> people are going to go, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But do you, do you build that in, the kind of thinking into your product design or your product planning? Or do you kind of go like, it's impossible to divine that kind of thing? Because lots of people have tried and lots of people have failed. So it does seem to some extent to be impossible to try to predict the wave. But at the same time, it seems like you'd be foolish not to. So how do you kind of approach that? Okay. Well, and it also gets laughed at by the incumbent, right? Like yes. when the incumbent is like, hey, we know what you kids want. They're always like, no, not from you, though. <laughs> yeah, like maybe yeah. we want it, but not from you. We'll wait till someone cool comes yeah. along. And build. I mean, I think what's important is just to try things to like identify what the spirit of the company is. For us, a big part of that's play, right? So mm. I won't spoil it, but like every year, we use something we call it April Fun Day because we don't want to prank anyone. It's not really, right. you know, during the last few years, and especially now, no one wants to prank. But no. to try to figure out a way to like celebrate fun on April 1st, like that's pretty cool. And every year, the sort of challenge we have for ourselves has been let's make something that people appreciate for one day that's fun. And then from there, they will not want it in the product <laughs> later on. They're not going to like request <laughs> this feature forever. And usually people go, oh, shit, no, like we didn't want that for longer. <laughs> and not, not always, but we usually get some kind of feedback from some minority of customers around that. And so, but it's kind of, and for FigJam, it's been interesting to kind of test out concepts that maybe we wouldn't feel comfortable testing out in Figma. For example, mm -hmm. emoji reactions and stamps in the canvas are things that we've kind of like leaned into for FigJam that I'm not saying that they're like quite as far lean looking as we were just talking about, but Right, right. I think it's nice to have these sandboxes where you can kind of push the bounds of thinking. And internally, another example of that is Maker Week for us. So we, every year, once or twice a year, we have a week dedicated to just building stuff. And anyone at the company is allowed to do, you know, anything they want for that week, as long as it's benefiting Figma in some way. And we see right. a lot of the product innovation that then later on gets baked into the software coming out of those weeks. And that's where we see a lot of far-reaching ideas. And so I think it's almost like for us, when I think about it at scale as a system, it's not about, okay, how do we predict perfectly every trend, but rather how do we make sure that we're bringing the right people into the organization that have the finger on their pulse of like what's going on in the world and mm -hmm. can bring that into Figma and then make sure that we yeah. have the right environment yeah. for those ideas to come and to be fostered. For Make Week, I'd be like, the beach really inspires me. So I'm going to be... <laughs> at the beach and bring back a lot of inspiration you joke yeah. but that i think that does have we had a here's my second shop if i mentioned we had another one we had that too pretty regularly like the same type of thing and some of the projects were kind of questionable in terms of their actual utility or the seriousness behind it i think some of my own <laughs> were probably along those lines but it's fun too right and that's part of well, it part of it is fun and that you get the opportunity to have fun i, I mean honestly it. i think it's okay to have projects that are not serious too because i think they can yeah. lead to something for example like a maker week a few years ago 
I made a plugin for Figma. It's right before plugins were launched, where it basically turned Figma into Windows XP. And on the <laughs> canvas, like you could like press start, you could go to like calculator. You know, there's like a flashcard app because we had a lot of new employees. We'll make sure people knew how to like knew the names of the employees. Anyway, the time it was just like people saw the joke. But then years later, yeah. now we've got widgets and Fig Jam, right? I'm not saying yeah. that it was directly inspired, but it's like within the same Well, space, I think you should take all the credit. No, I couldn't because other people later on ran a hundred percent Dylan. And now it's on the record that you took credit <laughs> for it. Exactly not what I was saying, but um, <laughs> but uh, rather there's other people then like took the idea, iterated on it more, and then those iterations yeah. became widgets, right? And like it's that kind of co-evolving process of everyone trying new things and trying to inspire each other that I think leads to some really cool results, even when it's just like yeah. for fun. Well, we have a couple audience questions. Right Dylan. up this alley, yeah. Yeah, right in the vein. And you and I have talked about company culture so much that I like have heard it before, but they want to know. So Eric Braun and Casey Nolte had a similar question, which is essentially like, how much has the culture changed during growth? How do you hold on to culture as you grow headcount? That whole thing. Like, how do you control the culture? And does it bother you if it's changing significantly? As, as it changes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have yeah. to accept that the culture changes over time. I mean, every person that you add to a company changes the culture. The mm -hmm. question is how much and in which ways. In some cases, it's like you add somebody and they are very similar to the people you already have in personality or interests or way of work. And that reinforces the culture that you already have. Sometimes they have like a slightly different working style. And that can be really beneficial to the team for them to learn that working style or like adapt and get better. And sometimes it's just like a total organ rejection and someone joins and like a few weeks later, it's like, yep, you know, they quit or you right. know, the team made it clear that this isn't working. And when you have those times where it's really clear, really fast, I think it's actually a good thing because it means that the culture is so strong that it's almost like it has antibodies and mm -hmm. it's not good for anyone to be in a culture or environment where both parties are not mutually happy. I think that in terms of like how to hold on to it, the more you can write down, the more you can you know, show good examples and positive reinforcement of, hey, this happened and like it was awesome and let's go celebrate it. That's one mm -hmm. way. I think being clear about your values and your vision, your mission, it's very old school, but I like it a lot. And I try to talk about yeah. our vision, our values at Figma quite often. And sometimes just being honest about when your values aren't living up to the culture. For example, we got a question at All Hands recently and one of our employees said, hey, is it just me or are things a little less fun recently? Mm. Oh, damn, I was like, that's a hard question. And so I thought about it for a few days because I saw it coming. Yeah, that's going to hit tough. And, you know, I kind of reflected on it. And I was like, you know, first of all, I've been going through a pandemic the past few years. Not going right. to blame that, but that's one thing. Second of all, we've been in sprint mode. So we've been working really hard. But third, like there is this element of play, of fun and experimentation and yes and thinking that is it fully captured by the values that we have? And we kind of had convinced ourselves it was captured by a value called build community. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's communities out there that aren't fun, that aren't Lots playful. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's like, it's like, that's not actually captured by that value. So we added, I just yeah. like, okay, unilaterally, I'm adding a new value. <laughs> it's going to be play. <laughs> and so now we have a fifth value called play. I mean, we're still defining as a team. We're working together to kind of figure out how that manifests and whatnot. But I think it's part of giving the team permission to be playful to mm -hmm. find ways to inject play into our culture and our product and to make it so that like as we scale, we don't lose the soul of Figma. We don't lose what it means to be Figma. And we're able to really reinforce that aspect of our company. And I think that you know, there's probably more stuff like that that we'll have to do over time, things that we'll have to explicitly label that we didn't have to yeah. label before. Hopefully they're 
They're things like play and not things like integrity or respect. My right, goal right. is to not have to ever have to have a value. It's like it's the integrity value because I hope that's assumed with everyone we hire. It's just fundamental human value exactly. that everyone should have. <laughs> yeah. right. But well, I actually I do think that you know keeping things really human is important as you scale. You know, yeah. you want to make sure that going back to tone and how you speak, it's really easy to be corporate in the way that you talk as a company. And it's like, okay, how do we show up as humans? And make sure that mm-hmm. we know it's not less of like Figma as the Borg and more of, you know, it's like I'm Dylan, hi. Yes. <laughs> the reality yeah. of what it is. Especially when you're hiring more seasoned folks, right? Like you're growing yeah. and hyper growth. It's tempting to like want to hire the guy from or the girl from like this company that's been around and in that corporate. Co- like my partner works for a giant pharmaceutical mm-hmm. company and was getting hired by a small biotech. And she like didn't know how to talk to the biotech people. Right. She was like so used to like everything having a buzzword and being super formal. And so I think it's like, how do you get those folks to feel loose and comfortable, but you still want them, right? Yeah, but like that's a hard thing to tell someone. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like PTSD almost to like try to work yourself down from that corporate language and way of being, you know? Yeah. It's hard to go back the well, other I think way. It's not about not hiring people from those environments because like you said, there's so many people that can add so much, but rather about just having a general sense of authenticity and directness and openness in the culture and being really clear about rewarding that. And then also if it's not present in something, labeling that, you know, in a one-on-one setting, not like on blast, but right. just being like, hey, it's okay. Like, you don't have to you know, do that here. Don't go to all your all channel in Slack yeah. and be like, At so channel, and so executive is Jordan, no fun. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I mean, it is true. And I'm glad of what you said about trying to not having like integrity in some of those. I feel like there are startups out there that are like our values are like honesty and integrity. And it's like, yeah, but like, what are you telling the world and what are you telling your team about the fact that they need to arm themselves with that coming in? You know, like it just feels a little a little like someone told them to have values. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I know some good ones. These are like golden rule is our number one mission. You know, it's like. Yeah. But anyway, so I think it's like an evolving process to Mm -hmm. figure out how do you make sure that you maintain the culture. Getting back to the question, I think it's always going to change, but how do you shepherd it is really important. And it's also, I think another thing is the last thing I'll say is memes help. Mm. Like one meme, I didn't mean it for it to be a meme, but it, it started to become a meme is like we have this one value called run with it. And I'll have a conversation now a lot of times and someone will be like, so should I just run with it? And I'm like, yeah, run with it. And, you know, it sounds like a <laughs> weird one, but it's true. It's becoming a meme. And it means yeah. like, okay, great. If you someone says run with it, just don't worry about too much consensus building. Just get this thing through. And, yeah. and I think it's really important, especially as we scale in there's a temptation to build consensus so much. Well, and I think the retroactive feedback thing is really important too. Right. constantly shouting out. Like this is something that Daryl and I have been talking about too for TechCrunch is if you're adjusting strategy in any way or you're trying out something new or you're just even like maintaining the status quo, the only way you can do that is to like look at someone's body of work or a team's body of work and be like, hey, why did you do this? Or this was amazing. Right. And like every little piece of feedback reinforces this inner instinct. Yeah. But the why you know? did you do this has to be done with genuine curiosity and not malice because it can sound like 
I never do it with malice. No. I only come with that question with malice, to be honest, <laughs> and I got to figure that out. Uh, if I'm asking you why did you do this, then we're, we're starting from a problem. bad place. But that's my bad. I think yeah. it's, it's a good question <laughs> to ask, and it's someone people should ask because it helps you understand the actual intent and thought process behind an action. As long as people treat it that way and you keep kind of that tone casual and like light and uplifting, like people, I feel like, get a lot of value out of that. But it, it's definitely a tricky thing to thread because people are so used to hearing that and having it be like it's a setup kind of right it's kind of loosey with the football like oh okay i'm gonna answer and you're gonna put yank it away and then i'm on my ass right so yeah and then neither of us win right because like well lucy wins i think in that setting but no not really because like if you come to it the way i come to it with why did you do this coming from like you probably shouldn't have because that's normally what i'm thinking right 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 and they come to it like, oh, I have to justify this rather than like, I actually am going to tell you genuinely what I was thinking. Right, right. Then neither of us are no winners in that anything. interaction, That's right? True, yeah, because yeah, like, you still did it. And I don't really understand you any better. Well, so I, I think that, you know, where are we the now? The big thing that's important is context and context sharing, right? And so one thing that's been a positive effect of the pandemic for us on our culture is that we've gotten, I'm still not saying we're A plus of this, but like we've gotten a lot more written as a culture. And hmm. where that falls down is we have to figure out how to like make sure it's all organized somewhere or someplace yeah, that right. you can go find the thing. But like a lot of times we'll have some plan or something interesting that's going on. And the question of like, oh, why are we doing this or what's happening here or what's the context here? That is the question I'm asking. And it's so much easier to be like, yeah, is there a doc around this that I can learn from? Yep. And then there usually is. And just, I just haven't seen it yet because it's a hard problem to find information in an organization scaling yeah. and growing. And then I can look at the doc and be like, oh, okay, cool. You had a framework, you had a set of assumptions. Maybe I disagree with this assumption. Let's talk about it. But like, it's less, you know, oh my God, what the f- were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and you're not like repeating yourself all the time. It is hard, though, to like become a company that's got a record of everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and there have been a bunch of startups that have tried to yeah. tackle that. And you don't want a record everything. It, it can become difficult. But, yeah. but right. it's also good. Yeah. Well, not ev- <laughs> not everything. Well, I mean, in terms of like you don't want to like you also down so much. <laughs> No, yes, I yeah, know yeah. what you mean, Dylan. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, it's the process balance, right? Because process is like such a bad word. And then process equates to documentation in some cases. But like there's a level of it that is very useful. And then there's a level of it that is sort of like a snake that's eating its own tail. Yep. That exists for no reason yeah. other than to create cruft, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think the process, the process of doing it, not process in general, but the process of like making a doc for something that was a meeting is actually like super useful, or at least it has been to me because I'm like, oh, we just had a chat about it and I talked about it for 10 minutes and like it all made perfect sense. Right. But, but then you go gone. to write it down and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is that? Doesn't look right. Writing can really clarify thinking. Right. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. a lot of times when I write stuff and I'm going, like you said, it makes you spell out your assumptions, makes it so you have to create a narrative and. Yeah, exposes your your gaps in logic sometimes too. I want to ask before I it escapes my brain. You've said something a little while back where you were talking about yes and mm-hmm. in terms of your culture, which is like from improv, right? Like that's the improv principle is to yes and. Yep. Is that explicitly where you got from, or can you talk a bit more about how that works, kind of at Figma totally, and yeah. how you think about it? Are you a big improv fan? I don't watch a lot of improv right now, but I mean, I grew up acting. I was an actor as a kid, and until I hit puberty, got awkward, and then then the computers came. But the, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, improv is, is a blast to do. And I think, I mean, look, there's different phases of the design or creative process. And when you're in a generative phase, when you're trying to be 
more expansive in your thinking before you kind of converge mm-hmm. and go, okay, what's the thing we're going to do? It's really good and helpful to be intentional about labeling. Hey, we're in a generative phase right now. And like, we don't have to necessarily label and lay out like, okay, here are the ground rules, only yes and thinking. But I think if you kind of have that culture and that vibe going on, it's really amazing. And for example, I think back to one of the design sprints we did for Fig Jam. This is before we mm-hmm. launched and we kind of had, okay, this intention of, okay, one of the differentiators for Fig Jam is going to be the fact that it's just fun to use. And right. I think we have this idea of, okay, if you can make it so that it's fun, then more people will be in a state of flow when they're using Fig Jam and they'll be able to be in more trusting relationships with each other and better ideas will come forth because of it. And so it's like, okay, great. That's a nice intention, nice marketing mm-hmm. message, but like really like rubber meets the road. What does it mean for the product? Right. So we had a design sprint for a day where it was just, let's do an entire day dedicated to like, what do we do to make Fig Jam fun? And we had like 30 ideas or something come out of that that were like excellent quality. We had to winnow it down because we couldn't build them all. But mm-hmm. just the amount of thinking that came out of that yes and environment was incredible. And we've done that similarly, yeah. you know, in design crits and, you know, and we try to label crits and tell people when it's like what type of crit it is, right. intentional with our language and sort of our framing of different conversations that we're having. And I think also it's really important as you build and scale an org to find the people that are naturally that way. That are the, for lack of a better word, they're kind of like the muses of the organization. Mm -hmm. They're people that are inspiring to others. They're going to keep coming back and like helping people refine and iterate on creative thought. They're kind of like the starters. And that's important. Finishing is also important. I'm not trying to say that one versus the other, but I think it's important to have in your head, okay, here are some people that we're really going to care about retaining because they are going to be people that really help us get to that next version or that next release or that new product idea. And I'm thankful because Figma is such a creative company. So it attracts a lot of people like that. And a lot of our employees, they are very inspirational in that way. Yeah. When I think about that, I think about like, I guess my behavior in meetings tends to be the finisher, as you politely called it, which is like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're like no we can't do that no that's terrible that's about it but yeah like setting it out front because that tends to be i think a lot of people's default stance when you go into meetings is like oh i'll be the person who like has smart things to say about why such and such thing wouldn't work right but if you have a whole meeting that doesn't have yeah. that it's going to be much more generative yeah and a defined space right and some means are decision making meetings too right so if you have yeah. decision making meetings that's fine too just be clear about it. It's that way no one's like, yeah. oh, why are you shooting down my idea? I mean, it's like, well, because we have to. We have five ideas. We got to get to one. Right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I think we've also, we talked a bunch about design systems and I just, it's a concept that I didn't really even encounter until I went to work for Shopify, but it's very core, right? Absolutely. To a lot of... Ding, ding, ding. What? <laughs> Don't... I'm going to like start paying you $5 or something so that it hurts. But what's funny there, and I don't know, I think that Fig Jam and a lot of your approach overall gets around this, was a lot of people saw it as something that was owned by UX over here and that was an encumbrance to be avoided or defeated in some way. And I have to apologize to Cynthia Savard, who is the VP of UX over there, because I was very often, I was like, we don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just between us. We're not going to use Polaris for this one. And like, (laughs) avoid the design system. But bringing people in and then bringing the rest of the company in helps you understand why it is so crucial. And like, with the benefit of hindsight, I can understand why it was so crucial and why it's important to have, especially at a company of that scale. But like, is that... 
how you kind of think about it? or like, do you see that? And do you see yourselves as being a solution or an assistance to a solution? Well, I've touched on so much there. I think there's the core tension maybe you're highlighting is, okay, if you have a design system, are people that are working on a design system every day, are they more creative or less creative? Mm, right. And I right. think it's, it depends on how the design system is set up. It depends on how the org is set up. And I think that for Figma, our role there is how do you make it so that you can create design systems that have flexibility to them? that mm. are not just going to be like, okay, this is the only way you can use it and good luck otherwise. Right, right. And also, how do you make it so that people can adapt to design systems so they can like propose changes more and you can open those communication pathways rather than like they're closed off and you have some tiny team that's working on design system and they don't talk to anyone else. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't give ourselves a perfect grade there. I think we've got a lot of work to do and design systems are like one of the things we care most about at Figma and we work really hard to keep evolving it. But they're also really mm. hard problems because what ends up happening is you've got these design systems that you basically create, which are then used in all these different places. And it becomes this giant distributed systems problem, in addition to trying to create the UI on top of it to explain what's happening and then the sort of product flows to impact the system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a really fascinating area to me and, and one that I think we're just the start of, honestly. Yeah. I think that yeah. you know design systems as kind of an area of design has been really, I mean, it's existed for a long time. Look at any operating system, it has a design system, but at the same time, the popularization of design systems is you know, less than 10 years old, for sure. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that we had some part to do with it. And I think that, you know, we're in the early days still of what that can mean. Yeah, for sure. It's probably too big of a topic, especially to ring up within the last, what, two minutes of that? Yeah, it was like two <laughs> minutes left. And you were like, let's get started on design system. <laughs> I like it. I mean, we can, we'll do another, st- we can do another hour on design systems whenever you want. We'll start a new podcast Bring, uh, on design people system. from Sigma into the yeah. conversation that are like, think about these problems every day. It'll be fun. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thanks All so right. much, Well, there Dylan. you have it. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah. It's locked in on the calendar. <laughs> uh, so we just wanted to say that if you missed it, audience, this episode will be in the feed. So you can subscribe to found to listen to the full conversation yeah, yeah. between us and Dylan. And you rock, Dill. Yeah, rock with this us. was great. It was so much fun. A lot of fun. All right. See you guys you next soon. time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamets and edited by Cal Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>